to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So let's live our best lives one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. Hi, everybody. We are glad you are here. Welcome to Episode 11 of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing good. I'm doing great as well. Listeners may remember we were going to get together for New Year's Eve, and we did. We had a great visit. We had a great time. Yes, we we did. did. And I just have to say thank you again to Sherry and her husband, Eric, because they helped me put together my sunlight and sauna. And it's amazing. It's amazing. I was in there right before we recorded today because it's chilly here. So I've been spending time in there every day. It feels great. I told Eric, I said, now I know what I'm working for. And he's like, you don't have room in the house to put one in there. And I'm like, I, we do have a two-stall garage, and we only used one side of it. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> we put it in the garage. It was definitely a three-person job. Chad, Sherry, and I did the heavy lifting, and Eric directed us. He read the um, the manual and told us what to do, and we got it all put together, and everything works. It's great. It really is. It actually went together really easily. I was I'm surprised, too. Surprised. You know you're good friends, though, when you can be crouching in the bottom of a sauna, and I look up, and like my face is, Sherry's butt is right in my face, because you're, <laughs> you're trying to connect the floor wires. <laughs> and I'm like three inches away from Sherry's butt. <laughs> but if anybody wants to learn more about Sunlight, and go to the Shop With Us tab at lifelessonscommunity.com, and you can see what, what a Sunlight and Sauna is and why we love it. Yeah. Well, today's good news segment actually comes out of Birmingham, Alabama. And it was actually shared in my hospital like internal newsletter. And it was so great. I like forwarded it and sent it to Jen. It made me just happy to see. And this is something that we are seeing right now with the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, you know, we everybody's wearing masks. And I have said before that like we are at a disadvantage because we just really struggle to communicate well with our patients with masks on. And then plus they have masks on and it's really hard to just like know who you're talking to and like form a connection. So the daughter of a UAB medicine physician, she devised a way to reveal the smile behind the mask. So Emily Strawn, she's 16 and she's the daughter of a UAB uh, medicine gynecologic oncologist, Dr. Michael Strawn. And she had heard her father talk about the same things that I was just talking about and how he felt like patients just were really being negatively impacted by having to wear masks in the patient care setting. And he really felt like it was impacting patient care and the patient experience. So Emily was trying to figure out what she could do to help, you know, like get that connection back with their patients. 
So she decided that she would make buttons that people could wear. You know how like when your kids are in sports and you wear the button with your kids sports team picture so that everybody knows which kids yours out there. So she made buttons of the staff members and their smiling faces. And um, the slogan on the mask on the button says under my mask is my smile. And then now the patients can see who's caring for them. And Emily says, a smile can ease a patient's nerves. I thought of the idea to make a button with a picture of the person smiling. It is a perfect solution because the doctors and nurses can wear them to work every day. Uh, We bought a button maker online so that we could make them at home. My dad and I have enjoyed making them together. And even with some trial and error, it's been fun. We brainstormed for a few weeks to determine the best slogan for the buttons. And under my mask is my smile seemed to fit both the buttons and our current circumstances. I love that. And I think that's a great thing. I'd love to see other communities do that exact thing. Yeah. And even, you know, teachers, you know, I've got, you've got the medical background. I've got the education background. I have so worried about, you know, for schools that are in session, like our local schools, they've been having in-person classes this year, but the teachers are wearing masks. And so, you can't see the teacher's face. And it just, I'm so worried about how that's going to impact the learning of the students Uh huh. and their emotional development, especially, you know, for kindergarten. Yeah. When I know I have a very expressive face and my emotions come through my face, mm-hmm. but when I'm at work, I'm usually, you know, pretty intent. I'm concentrating. So all people are seeing are my eyes. And I'm like, for all I know, when I'm concentrating, I look mean. because like I can't they don't know what my face is doing under my mask so anyway I thought I just thought that was a great story I wanted to share that maybe some other communities can come up with something like that in their you know professional settings as well listeners we need your stories send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com we want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service give a shout out to a special someone in your life tell us an amazing story, or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. Now, before we get to the life lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast. And today I want to talk about Zoe. You know, For anyone who's read my book, Fast, Feast, Repeat, you've read my discussion of personalized nutrition. And if you haven't read it, basically, the latest research in science and nutrition is teaching us that we really are all different when it comes to what foods work best for us. That's why, you know, you may have a friend who did well on one diet plan. While you tried the same exact one, you felt awful and you didn't lose any weight. Our biology is different. And that explains why we react differently to the same exact foods. Um, One of the leading scientists in the field of personalized nutrition is Dr. Tim Spector. And he has teamed up with scientists from the United States to study what makes us different. And the biggest difference comes from our gut. Mm -hmm. From your research, we can see that the food you eat influences the bacteria in your gut. We also see that certain foods and your overall diet can be linked to a, quote, good or, quote, bad gut bacteria profile, and that can help or hinder your metabolic health. So eating the right foods for you to balance the bacteria in your gut should improve your body's response to food, reducing harmful dietary inflammation. So when you take part in what Zoe has to offer, Zoe analyzes your unique gut, yes, you send in a poop sample. 
<laughs> so that they can analyze it. They send you all the stuff you need. They also analyze your blood fat and blood sugar responses to foods. They send you these muffins that you eat. You have to um, plug everything into their app. You also wear a continuous blood glucose monitor through the, the time that they're studying how your body's, body's responses you know, are to these certain foods. It's really fascinating. So after you take part in the first part, you know, the, the continuous blood glucose monitoring, the poop sample, eating the foods that they want you to eat, recording all of your foods for the, the period of time, they take all that information, analyze it, and give you a personalized recommendation through an app, their Zoe app, about what foods should boost your particular gut microbiome and be beneficial for you. So I am currently in that part of it. I am, I've committed to doing 28 days of following their recommendations and it's, it's a challenge. You know, I like to eat whatever I want, whenever I want to. And I've been doing that for years now, but instead I'm following Zoe recommendations and I'm on day five and so far, so good. I'm doing it. Um, so to learn more, go to jenstevens.com slash Zoe, and that's spelled Z-O-E for the Zoe. You can read about what to expect, find a link to their website, plus a promo code with a special offer for listeners. And Sherry, you did the Zoe study also earlier with Predict2. Yeah, I did. I took part in the research study. Right. So my initial assessment period uh, was much longer than um, yours, and it was a little more labor intensive, but I did get some really fascinating information from it and learned how my body clears fat and how, what my blood glucose control is and what my gut microbiome is doing. And I also followed the Zoe recommendations. I did a, about a month of eating uh, based off of it last summer. It is challenging, but I learned a lot and I still, you know, implement some of that today and, and, and use the app to still make better choices in my foods. Even the just to compare, like what's better for me, this right. this side dish or this side dish? It's fascinating how, you know, even like one vegetable over another vegetable can be great right. for you or not good for you. So the most valuable thing I, I learned was that I have bad um, blood flat, but I can't say it. I have bad blood fat clearance. My body does not clear fat easily. And of course, now it makes sense as to why I didn't do well on a low carb, high fat or keto plan. It's right. not good for my body. I felt inflamed the whole time. I've always said that, that it, I felt inflamed. Well, Zoe shows me that that's why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did have increased inflammation when I ate too much fat. So if you're interested, again, go to jenstevens.com slash Zoe. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. So this week, we are going to talk about the concept of love languages as described by Gary Chapman in the book, The Five Love Languages. Jen and I have both read this book and we've right. talked about it through the years. By the time this episode is released, it's going to be almost Valentine's Day. So it's perfect time to focus on your love life and your relationship with your partner. Gary's training was in anthropology, and that gave him an understanding of linguistics. And he talks about how most of us have one primary language that we are taught and speak. And that is the language of our parents and siblings. That would be your primary or native language. And then later in life, you know, many people go on and learn secondary languages, but it does require more effort and practice. And while they may become fluent, they're always going to be most comfortable speaking and conversing in their native language. So he uses that to compare to our emotional love languages. If you and your spouse are speaking different love languages and communicating in manners that the other doesn't recognize, it really can leave you feeling unheard, unloved, and underappreciated. 
Rarely do two partners have the exact same love language, but even if they do, it can also add some um, challenges to their relationship. So really in order to effectively communicate and give and receive love in a manner that leaves both parties satisfied and understood. It's really necessary for each partner to understand their own love language first and then understand their partner's love language. So once you've learned how to identify your partner's love language, you know, then you can begin to learn how to speak their language in order to really improve and build a a loving, lasting relationship. So, you know, why is this so important? Well, it goes back to the need that we all have. You know, psychologists have identified that feeling love is one of our primary human emotional needs. So when we do feel loved, we feel capable, we're uplifted, we feel lovable. But when we don't feel love, we feel the opposite. We feel incapable, depressed, and unlovable. So there's a psychiatrist, Dr. Ross Campbell, who said, you know, inside every child, is an emotional tank waiting to be filled with love. When a child really feels loved, he will develop normally. But when the love tank is empty, the child will misbehave. Much of the misbehavior of children is motivated by the cravings of an empty, quote, love tank. So we're going to keep talking about the concept of your love tank as we um, explore the five love languages. But this emotional need for love doesn't just, you know, happen in childhood. It follows us into our adult life and into our adult relationships. So when we're in a long-term relationship as adults, we need to keep continually filling each other's love tank, but it needs to be done in the way that we each need. So we behave differently when our emotional love tanks are full. You know, we have heard, you know, the fairy tale that if we're really in love, it's just going to last forever. But we look around us and see, you know, the couples you know, how many of us are you know, children of divorce or a lot of our friends are divorced or we may be divorced ourselves. We may be heading towards divorce or feeling like divorce is imminent. We know that love doesn't just magically last forever, but we can keep our love strong when we understand and when we both work to keep that love alive by keeping each other's love tank full. And that's really important. You know, love is not a magical thing that once it happens, it's there. It's work. It is work. Yeah. Natalie, one of our uh, listeners, she wrote in and she wanted to know how to identify her love language. And that's important. So let's get into how you can go about figuring out what your love language is. The first most important step is to identify both yours and your partner's love languages. And you can do that by taking a quiz. Uh, You can go to the website, five lovelanguages.com and five is numerical. It's the number five lovelanguages.com. Or you can download a love languages app. And my husband and I have this. I love it. It is called Love Nudge. So you take the quiz, you determine your love language. And on the app itself, it gives you a percentage of where you fall in each language. So you can see both your primary and your secondary love languages. And interesting enough, my second and third love language are only one percentage point off from each other. So I have a primary and then I have kind of two secondary love languages. And then you can, if you have the app, you can link your app with your partners and you basically send them an invite and they basically join you and you can see your partner's love language. It gives you kind of like a, It's like a pie and it tells you the percentage of what percentage is, you know, this love language and what percentage is this love language. So at any point, like if I can't remember, I'll be like, huh, what was my husband's love language? I can just 
turn on the app, click on his little picture and his love languages pop up. So that's awesome. So that's the love nudge app. We don't yes. have that. Maybe I should get it. You should get it. It's really helpful. So I'll now talk about it a little bit more later okay. too. So now we're going to go over each of the five love languages briefly. The first is words of affirmation. And this one, by the way, is Chad's number one love language. That is my husband's as well. Is it? They like words of affirmation. Good to know. What do we mean by words of affirmation? Well, they can be complimentary words. They could be words of appreciation. They can be words of encouragement, such as, I love the way you make me laugh. Or thank you for always remembering to take the trash curb to the curb on trash day. They can be encouraging words. When we encourage our partners, we are letting them know that we see them, we hear them, and we believe in them. If your partner's feeling insecure in some area, just some encouraging words can be what they need to get the courage that they need to find their true potential. This actually happened for me. I'm going to tell you real quickly. When we were going to start the podcast, I was really... I didn't believe that like I could do this. I didn't believe that people would want to hear what I had to say. And those are all like stories I told myself because of things that have happened in my past. And my husband really like bolstered my self-esteem. And he was like, no, you know, you're, I'm always fascinated what you have to share with me. And, and he really gave me that, that prompt I needed to believe in myself. So it's, words are very powerful. And for a person who that's their primary love language, that's it. That's what you give. That is a gift you give them. So just remind them of why they do a good job every day or why they should go for that promotion that they, you know, think maybe they can't get and just really help them see themselves through your eyes and, re- and, and remind them. Can I pop in with something real quick? Sure. You know, this is really an important thing to understand also you know, you said this is your husband's number one. Yes. So when you see your spouse or your partner or your husband or your wife using their love language for you, that means a lot. That's also might be how he's showing you love. So even though your love language might not be words of affection, I mean, I'm sorry, words of affirmation, the fact that he is using them, he's showing love in the way he likes to receive it. Yes. And he likes to remind me of that at times. He'll be like, people show love in the way they want to get love. He reminds me of that a lot. I do struggle with like giving words of affirmation when my love tank is not full. That makes sense. That's really something that you'll kind of learn over time is like that when you don't, when your love tank is not full, you have a hard time speaking to your partner in their love language. True. Mm-hmm. Being so aware if, is the first thing though, knowing that, gosh, he just encouraged me. That's his primary love language. That's him showing love to me. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. So if words of affirmation are, it, that is not your primary love language, but you know, it's the love language of your partner. One suggestion they have is just like, keep a notebook where you can write down words of affirmation, like as you hear them, because if that's just, if you're just not in tune to that and you hear somebody pay somebody else a compliment, you're like, oh, wow, that was really nice. Jot it down. And um, over time, you will have a list of positive affirmations that you can go through and you can use. And it's kind of practice. And so that a way of finding the right words is not second nature to you. Maybe, you know, that's not something you grew up with. Even you'll have like written your own guidebook and eventually as you use those words, it becomes more natural to you. And you are now going to learn how to speak your partner's love language. Yeah, that's good advice. 
All right, the second love language is quality time, and it actually is my number two love language. Quality time means that you're you're with your loved one and you're giving their undivided attention. I mean, you know, it's true. When I'm trying to talk to my husband and I can tell he's not paying attention, I feel very unloved. You know, when I'm I'm talking and he's looking at his phone instead or he's, you know, rummaging around in something, I'm like, no, look at me. You know, it's very important. I want his undivided attention. Also, it means spending time together in a way that you f- you both feel connects you. It might be taking a walk, eating dinner together. We do that every night, and that's important to me. It's funny how, you know, we never used to do that, but but now we do, and it makes a huge difference. You know, talking, connecting, even, you know, for the two of us, every night we snuggle up on the couch together at the end of the day, and that really feels like quality time to me. You know, in, in today's busy, busy world, sometimes other things get in the way, our jobs, our kids, you know, if you've got small kids at home, that really can make a huge difference because you may not be connecting with your partner. Instead, you're busy dealing with the children, um, other responsibilities that you may have getting in the way as well. And so your special time together may disappear. You know, we've heard of taking a date night, but that's not easy in a pandemic. Maybe there's nowhere you can go on a date. Maybe date night is you go in your bedroom and you close the door. And you just spend some time together there, you know, carving out a corner in your home after the kids go to bed or early in the morning, you know, depending on on what, what your schedule is like. But if quality time is your partner's love language, you really need to prioritize creating this time to fill their love tank, you know, and vice versa. If it's your primary lo- love language, you need to make sure to schedule that in and let your, your partner know that it's important. And the quality conversation is very, very important. We want to be able to share our thoughts, our opinions, our feelings, and our desires. But also remember to be a great listener. You know, when you have a partner who feels safe enough to vent to you about his or her struggles, their frustrations, and their insecurities, they're giving you a gift. It's your job to listen, maybe not try to solve the problem, because I know that's where I get in trouble sometimes with Chad. He'll be telling me his problem, and then I'm telling him how to solve it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially his work problems. I'm like, oh, that's easy. Just do this. He doesn't want me to tell him that. He wants me to listen, and vice versa. I actually told my husband that once. Did you? Because he wants to solve my problems for me. And it's funny because like this happened months ago and I didn't really realize that was happening. And I said, you know, sometimes I don't want you to tell me what to do or how to solve my problem. I just want you to listen to me and hear me. And then like maybe two months ago, I said something about that I don't feel like he ever really talks to me anymore. And he said, well, I w- you would talk to me and then I would tell you what I thought about it. And you told me you didn't want me to solve your problems for you. So I don't give you advice anymore. Oh. And I'm like, huh, well, quality time is his second love language. Okay. And I think by me, like telling him that somehow that it shut it down. Shut it down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I'm not really good at idle chit chat. It's interesting. Quality time is also my second love language. However, my husband and I look at it from different perspectives. Like what's quality time for him, what's quality time for me are not the same thing. And so for him, it's just me being there with him and sharing space with him. But I'm not very good at doing nothing. So when I'm sharing space with him, I'm also multitasking. I'm moderating Facebook pages or I'm, you know, and to me, I'm, I'm with him, but where 
where I need quality time, I want like really good quality conversation. And, and that's hard for him. He's not like a, a deep conversationalist. And so I got this book that I want to share with everybody. It's called A Couple's Love Journal, 52 Weeks to Reignite Your Relationship, Deepen Communication and Strengthen Your Bond. And this gives you prompts. It's like journal prompts, but we do it audibly. Like we just discuss it. And then I actually like write down stuff. And so we sit down, we do a weekly journal page together and it just gets us talking about deeper subjects and it opens up like really genuine and deep dialogue. It's helped our communication a lot. And it also, it takes you back to like the beginning of your love affair. Oh, that's like fabulous. what, like what attracted you to each other or what was the first thing they noticed about you or what strength do you have that they were attracted to? And it really kind of like circles you back to like the feelings you had at the beginning of your relationship and almost like helps to restore them. So if you're looking for a way to like really good, spend some good quality time and you don't know what to do, I really kind of recommend that book and I'll put a link to it in the show notes for anybody who's interested. So I think the key here is when you're having your quality time to figure out how you define, how you each define the quality time and make sure that you're structuring it in a way that fills the partner's love tank who has that as a primary love language. Because that's our goal always is to remember what our partner needs so we can fill their love tank so that they can fill ours. Yes. The third love language is receiving gifts. And a gift is basically a physical representation of love. It's something you can see, hold, or use. And every time you touch it or see it, you remember that the person that you love gave it to you. So visual symbols of love are really more important to some people than to other people. Gifts are not a big thing to me at all, but to like a lot of people, they really are. So like, think about wedding rings. That is the first gift that a married couple gives the other. And at the opposite end of that, when a marriage ends, the first thing a couple often does is remove their rings. So that shows you right there, like how impactful just that visual representation of love can be. So for a person whose primary love language is receiving gifts, the value of the gift actually matters less than the actual thought behind giving the gift. This is not a person who's greedy. They're not, you know, obsessed with material things. This is a person who sees gifts, whether it be a feather you found on your lunch break or a trinket from a shop or even just a handmade card you make them or write them. They see this as an expression of your love. Like that was you thinking of them and bringing them a token of your love. It's a physical token of love. It's also important to understand your feelings regarding gift buying. So if you are a partner with a gift receiver, but like you're a, a really thrifty person and you don't like to spend money, you know, you might have some negative feelings about spending money and spend, buying gifts. You might feel like, why do I have to buy their love? And it's not, you're not buying their love. You are getting them a little something to express to them in a language that they understand that you love them. And it doesn't have to be something huge. Like, for example, you know, let's say that my love language is, it's not, it's not one of mine, but let's say that it was, you know, I use Burt's Bees lip balm. You know, Uh I always am going to need more Burt's Bees lip balm. So Chad could come home with a, a Burt's Bees lip balm and say, I saw this in the store and I thought of you. That would, if that were my love language, it would refill my tank. It's funny you say that because I'm not a 
gifts person. However, you brought that up and a coworker, I love birthday cake chapstick. I know that sounds crazy and <laughs> I can't find it anywhere. It only comes out at certain times of the year. And a coworker knew I loved it. And one day she came into work and she's like, Hey, I saw this and I thought of you, I gave it to them. And that just made me feel special. So if that was my love language, that would be huge. I mean, and this happened like four years ago. I'm and sure every time I use birthday cake chapstick, I'm like, oh, remember that time Becky remembered me and brought me right. birthday cake chapstick. So, yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be anything big and um, it doesn't have to cause conflict. If this is really something that your partner needs and they need some, you know, gifts from you to show that you're invested in them, you love them, you need them. Look at it as not spending money. Look at it as an investment into your future and into your relationship. And just make it part of your budget that you know that you're going to spend, you know, X, Y, Z this month on little knickknacks, gifts, cards, whatever for your loved one. And additionally, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, when you're filling your partner's love tank in this way, now they are more able and willing to fill your love tank in the way that you need filled. So it's a win-win. And so like we said, yeah, gifts don't have to be expensive. Um, some tips that they have said are like birthdays are a big deal for people whose gifts are, are you know, love language is gifts. So make, their, make it a birthday week. Don't give them one big expensive gift on their birthday. Instead, break it up and give them a little something every day that week for their birthday. They're going to love that. And gifts can also just be your, your presence, you giving them the gift of time, especially during times of happiness, crisis, and during memorable events. They say that, you know, it, it, like if somebody says, I really need you to be here with me for this event, and you're like, oh, I can't, I'm busy, I've got a work meeting, that's going to really hurt them because you didn't give them the gift of your time. And I've never really thought about gifts being time or presence before until I was rereading the book. I realized my, my husband gave me a really great gift and I will never forget this. We'll see if I can tell the story without crying. My grandma passed away last November and um, see, I'm gonna cry. I hadn't been back home in like, at that point, seven years. And Eric had never met my family and he'd never back, been back to where I'm from. And he has a lot of social anxiety and he doesn't really leave the creature comforts of home very much. Traveling is not something he enjoys and meeting new people is really overwhelming for him. But he didn't think twice. He, he just, and I was like, no, no, we're not gonna go. We're not gonna go. He literally piled me into the car, packed bags before I could even say no. It was like seven o'clock at night and we were leaving town and heading back home. And that like, that is, that's huge. That was a great gift and it cost him nothing. Yeah. So he's a great guy. I had never met him face to face until this past week when he came to visit. And, you know, you've talked about his social anxiety and not liking to travel, but he did a great job and he was fabulous. I just love him. He's a great he guy. He's a very yeah. nice guy. Yeah. Another gift he gave me. Yeah. Well, it was a and good I, gift to me as well. I did. I actually thought I was like, you know, that was the greatest holiday gift he gave me was that little couple day getaway. And and I love that you two got to meet. And yeah. That was very meaningful. I really enjoy getting to know him. I felt like I knew him to a degree, but now I, I know him. So that was great. 
So the fourth love language is acts of service. Now, this is important. Acts of service means you're doing things you know that your spouse wants you to do. That's key. You know, it could be cooking dinner, setting the table, running errands, taking the car to the mechanic, you know, whatever. Sometimes an act of service could be the clearest message of love. Um, Like, for example, if your partner does something to lighten your load, even when you're not there, you know they were thinking of you while you were gone. One thing that's important, though, if acts of service is your love language, but it's not your partner's, you may start feeling like you're doing all the work and getting nothing in return. So it's key, like I said at the beginning, if one of you has um, acts of service as a love language, it's important for the other partner to know what acts of service you actually desire. <laughs> you know, if my, if my if Chad felt like me cooking dinner was the ultimate act of service and, and I never cooked him dinner, that would hurt his feelings. Or if he felt like me taking the trash out when it got full as an act of service, you know, like maybe he would open the trash and see that it's full and start to feel resentful. And I wouldn't even know that he would like to see me make, you know, take that initiative and take the trash out. So That's me. you got to communicate what it is. It, it doesn't make sense to be resentful without telling them. Um, also, I realized that you know, just back to the taking the trash out example, Chad takes the trash out, but he doesn't put the bag back in. And that would really drive me crazy. I would open the trash. The bag wasn't there. And I'd be like, Ugh. but then I was like, wait a minute. Nope. Trying, time to reframe that thinking. He took the trash out and I can put the bag back in. That's us working together. So I didn't, you know, complain or nag or say, I hate it when you do that. Because all that would do was convince him not to take the trash out. Right. <laughs> yeah. I am acts of service and I am very heavily skewed acts of service. I will say that. That is very low on my husband's list. And we went through some tough times last summer because I was feeling very resentful. I was feeling very much like a doormat. I felt like I carried the weight of the household on my shoulders and he didn't notice anything I did. And I would cook him meals every day. And because to me, that's how I show love because you show love in the way that you want to be shown love. And so I'm making sure he has good home cooked meals and he has a clean house to come home to and, and he's not lifting a finger. And we had to sit down and have a really real discussion about it, but he's over there giving me words of affirmation all day. Right. He's like, help you. You need the act of service. Right. He's like, you're so gorgeous. And I'm like, who cares? The, Take the, trash out. <laughs> the trash is overflowing. Right. Who cares if I'm gorgeous? And then he'd be like, you're so great. You're the greatest. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm pretty great too. Cause I do everything. And we really had to sit down and talk about it. And our way of solving this was I made him a chore chart and it sounds crazy, because I mean, I'm like, you're a grown man. I'm not making your chore chart. And he said, look, he would say, make me a list of what you want me to do. And I'm like, that's just one more thing for me to do. Well, it solved everything. That's awesome. Because I just literally made a list of everything that has to be done. And I thought, what, what do I really want from him? What, how can he help me where I feel like I'm not doing it all? And the chores I gave him aren't hard chores. They're just pesky chores 
And he has a chore chart. And every day he came home and he would look at the chore chart and he would do the chores. And every night I would go to bed feeling loved and appreciated. Awesome. It's so easy. It really is. You know, this is not either Chad's nor my, you know, primary love language, but, you know, we had a little spat after New Year's and he knows I don't like things to be messy. And so he cleaned up his bedside table because he piles everything, trash out of his pocket, everything all on his bedside table. And, you know, I walked in the bedroom and he said, I cleaned up my bedside table because I know it makes you happy. And that just, that just felt like I felt so loved when he did that and said that. And he recognized, you know, and, and don't hesitate to tell your partner, you know, I did this for you because I know you like it. And because they might not even realize, you know, they see, and like that task actually can cover so many love languages, right? Because that, that could have been received as a gift. That could be also like a word of affirmation. That's him saying, I recognize that you need this. I affirm your tidy. Yeah. Right. And it was an act of service. So he covered three love languages with that one act. I do like things to be tidy to the point I have to tell something really funny. The first night Eric told Sherry, is Jen OCD about the kitchen? (laughs) (laughs) She did. She went through the kitchen like two or three times before we went to bed. My atomic habit. Everything is tidy and in order. And I wake up yeah. and it's tidy. It's just that's that makes me feel good. Anyway, that's it was always also really hard when Will still lived at home because I would go to bed and he'd be up like eating stuff. And I'd wake up in the kitchen and be a mess. It'd drive me crazy. <laughs> but <laughs> the key to acts of service really is if that's your partner's love language, you need to know what they value as acts of service. So ha- have them make a list of the 10 things in the order of importance that they would feel valued if you did. Communication, so important. Yep. So the final love language is physical touch. And this is actually my number one and Chad's number two. So it's it's nice when they line up like this. Yes. Yeah. So physical touch is just a powerful way to communicate emotional love. It can also be a powerful tool for communicating marital love. Uh, this can be sex, but it can also be as simple as holding hands, a caress, a kiss, an embrace for partner whose primary love language is physical physical touch, they need that to keep their love tank filled. Without it, they're going to start to feel insecure. They're going to feel unlovable. They're, you know, they're like, why won't he touch me? Does he not desire me anymore? Does he not feel pretty anymore? Really important. You know, I just talked about, we had a little spat after um, New Year's and when we woke up the next morning after going to bed, you know, angry, he reached over and he held my hand. Mm-hmm. Before we even woke up or spoke, he was holding my hand. And that touch, since that's my number one love language, I felt so very loved. It it, it wasn't, you know, like marital intimacy kind of, you know, right. touch that I'm looking for. It's him holding my hand, you know, or, or touching my face. Yeah. Yeah. Did you notice when I, we were at your house that Eric came up and put his arm around me a couple of times? Yes. Okay. That is not his love language. When you rank them, that is his lowest. I think he gets 3% for physical touch. That is my second tied one. And I'm going to be honest, when I first took the quiz, it did not rank high for me at all. But I kept still feeling like I was not, like my needs were not being met. And after I reread this book, I retook the quiz. And what I found myself doing when I did the quiz was it gives you options. Like, would you rather? Well, 
knowing that my husband's not a toucher and he doesn't enjoy physical touch, I found myself answering the other. Oh, So if it was touch or other, I found myself choosing the other because I was like, well, I know he's not going to touch me. So I guess I want this. Right. I retook the quiz, taking my husband out of the equation. If my partner was somebody imaginary, an imaginary person who was perfect, what would I want? And guess what? Touch is tied as my secondary love language. And I have spoke to him about it and told him how I need to feel touch from him to feel more loved. And he just like when he walked up and put his arm around me, I was like, oh, he loves me. You know, like everything's going to be like that touch makes me feel like everything's going to be okay. And that's what that's what touch does. And it's also really important to learn how your partner wants to be touched. So you have to learn to speak their love dialect. Uh It's not just touch. It's what kind of touch. So like if you like to have your arm rubbed, find out if your spouse likes that. Um, It might be soothing to you, but it might be irritating to them. So when you're touching your partner, ask them, do you like this? You know, do you like it when I touch your arm? Do you like it when I rub your back? If you continue to touch a person, because touch can be negative. Mm -hmm. If you continue to touch a person in a way that they don't like, you are not meeting, you're not filling their love tank. (laughs) It's emptying it. It's draining it. It it, it, it is. And love touches, they don't, it doesn't have to be lengthy. You don't have to give them a massage or a foot rub. It can be something as little as, you know, while they're cooking dinner at the stove, walk up and, and rub their back. Or as you pass them, lean down and give them a kiss on the side of their, you know, head or squeeze their neck. Or, you know, if you're in the car, reach over and touch their leg. A, a big one for people whose um, touch is their love language, hug them as they come and go from the house. That is, that's a really big one. They go on to talk about like, you know, when there's times of crisis, there's a funeral, somebody's sick. What do people do? They hug. And that is because touch is such a powerful language. So really for a person who needs a physical touch, you know, if you just hold them while they're crying, hug them when they're having a bad day, reassure them that you're there for them that you want them, that you love them just by, just by touching them in a way that they need to be touched. And, you know, again, it's one of those things that just takes practice. And um, if it's not natural to you, just throughout the day, you can even keep a little, a little reminder in your phone. And, and that's what the love nudge app does actually too. It will give you nudges. It'll text you and I'll say, remember to say something nice to your husband today. One listener, Teresa, wants to know, is there a man alive that doesn't say physical touch is their love language? I'd be interested to know if anyone's man chose another option. So this is actually addressed in the book. And many people wrongly assume that all men's love language is automatically physical touch. Because let's face it, men are wired biologically to be more sexual creatures. But he goes on to explain that like, if a man desires physical touch, at all times. He's a touchy-feely person. He needs hugs. He needs caresses. You know, he initiates physical touch that is not of a sexual nature. 
then it is likely that his love language could be physical touch. However, man, he doesn't initiate caresses and hugs and and touches throughout the day. He probably, physical touch is not his love language. So don't confuse, you know, those two things. Right. You really need to know, you know, what is your husband's love language? So what about people who have trouble figuring out what their love language is? It's usually because of one of two scenarios. In the first, if your love tank has been full for so long and filled so well, if you can't remember ever feeling unloved, wouldn't that be a great, great problem to have? (laughs) That would be a great problem. Well, you don't even remember what it's like not to be feeling loved. But, you know, I think most of us go through the day sometimes feeling unloved and unappreciated. The other example is the person whose love tank has been empty for so long, they can't remember what it is they need to feel loved. That would be the other scenario. And this was Sarah from Arizona's experience. She shared that at one point, her ex-husband accused her of hiding her love language from him. She says, later I discovered that because for 10 plus years, my primary language had been starved, I had denied what it really was because it hurt so much. It's kind of like with you, Sherry, when you you said, well, he's not going to give me touch. I'm just going to pretend like that doesn't exist. But really, you needed it. I did. Yeah. And I knew something was missing. Yep. And now I know what that was. So So Sarah says, even taking the quizzes, it was hard to answer the way I would have honestly, because it was too painful to admit what I really wanted and needed, but wasn't getting. Yeah, that's really important. I think, you know, this happens, I think people as a coping mechanism, even when they're in a bad relationship, you put the bad stuff out of your mind, you only focus on the good. So maybe you're focusing on what you are getting and not what you really need. But your love language, your love tank, that's like air. That's air to your relationship, you know? So realizing how I didn't answer the quiz honestly, and then went back and had to, it took work. I mean, I had to really get in touch with what I needed and answer the quiz. And, um, you know, now he's making a greater effort to touch me more and to be a little bit more affectionate with me. It's not natural to him. He did not grow up in a family like that. And it's just not something that's important to him, but he's making an effort to give that to me. So listener Larissa shared, my main love language is quality time. I've learned that I start to have fears of abandonment when my love language hasn't been shown in a while and any attention from others of the opposite sex becomes extra hard for me to ignore because I'm craving any and all attention. My husband has learned that it doesn't take much to fill my cup, but just that I need to feel that I'm important in the midst of his day. Even five minutes of connecting will carry me for the rest of the day. That's a great awareness. It is. Yeah. Anna wrote in and she said, my husband and I first took the five love language quiz clear back in the 1990s after the book was first released. We were a few years into our marriage and it truly helped me to see that we were in this relationship to serve each other. Flash forward 10 years and we took it again and discovered that our love languages had changed some. We had learned to value each other's love language a bit more. While we retained our main love language, years of living with someone of a different love language helped us to embrace that one too. Love that. Yeah. So Jill shared with us, in 2000, I stumbled on the five love languages babysitting for a blended family. I thought it was so forward-thinking for the engaged couple to get organized pending their families coming together. 
I had a boyfriend shortly after and after three years called it quits. Soon after that, the five love languages showed up again and reminded me of such ideas. It was then that I decided that in my next relationship, I would incorporate all five as much as possible every week. Fifteen years later, I compliment my husband, ask how I can help, remind him of the gifts I give. For example, bought him toilet paper. In the pandemic, that's extra important, right, Gary? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or I might slip a pretty rock in his pocket on a hike, give him a squeeze on the buns or the like, and make the bed or other acts of service he loves. I figure hitting them all over the week, I'm showing him love however he needs it. In the beginning of our relationship, I shared these ideas from the book. I asked him to take the quiz and we shared our answers. He knows my languages, but also strives to get all five love languages from week to week. I'm so grateful for this book. I love my marriage and my other relationships benefit from these simple ideas. Thanks for sharing this topic. It's so important for everyone to treat each other better. I agree. Me too. So Julie from Iowa has a question. She said, my husband and I read this together early in our marriage via Audible on a road trip. Our biggest issue is that my husband does not agree with this or understand it. He thinks that if he is doing a great thing, but it is not my love language, I should just understand better. I can appreciate it, but it just doesn't fill my love tank. Do you have any advice on how to help both of us move beyond this? So... I really have two suggestions. There is a book that uh, Gary Chapman wrote called Love Languages, Five Love Languages for Men. And it is written exclusively for men to try to teach them in a language they understand how to speak their wife's love language. And I also think you should try using the love tank on the Love Nudge app. Then he can visually see how you are feeling in direct correlation to his words and actions. Do you have any suggestions, Jen? Yeah, I think those are good examples. It's frustrating when your spouse doesn't understand that you need to have your tank filled Mm -hmm. in in a way that is meaningful to you. You know, getting him to understand that I think is going to be the the key. Yeah, I think so many people are visual people. So if he can visually see, you know, your little pie graph and and what he's how he's meeting those needs, that might help him. Yes, I think so, too. I hope that we've given you some useful information today and and hopefully piqued your curiosity as well. If you're interested in reading more, I highly suggest reading the book, The Five Love Languages. Um, As I mentioned before, he has some other books that have come out in the series. He went on to write one for singles, for children, for men, for teenagers. You also, I really recommend checking out the Love Nudge app. It's great. Um, It's really easy to use. And my husband would never have read a book um, he will never listen to this podcast episode, but he uh-huh. did get on that and, and he did do some little, there's some little training stuff on there too. And he, and he did learn via the app. So that was great. And it, that really made me feel good that he was invested in our relationship and wanted to try that. So before we get to the listener led lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast. And this week we're going to talk about Shapa. Shapa is the world's most revolutionary scale coupled with a personalized program with daily actions and reminders created by a leading team of scientists and nutritionists. Together, the Shapa system creates sustainable long-term behavior changes that will transform your body and your health. There are no numbers, no judgment. That's right. No numbers on the scale. And I love that so much. 
Rather, it is connected to an app and the app gives you a color as a feedback as to what your rate, weight trends are doing over time. Are you slowly decreasing body fat and weight loss? Are you maintaining? You get feedback without the day-to-day normal weight fluctuations that might affect the way you feel about yourself and your success on a daily basis. Now, Jen and I both have this scale And as usual, you guys have learned I'm a slow convert. (laughs) (laughs) I was not really willing to get rid of my regular scale. So for like three months, I used two scales. (laughs) But I like to assess how foods affect me and cause inflammation in my body. And my body's crazy. Jen knows I can gain eight pounds overnight. Um, And so... Yeah, from water retention. And so I like to be able to see like, ooh, that was not a good meal for me. My body held on to fluid for three days after I ate that or whatever. But what I have learned with the shape of scale is this this fun little thing. It's your shape of age. And it's the fun part is that when I'm doing well and I'm eating foods that agree with my body, my shape of age is like 15 years less than my biological age. And so while I don't see the day-to-day fluctuations, what I do see is my shape of age will fluctuate. So if all of a sudden my shape of age goes up 10 years, I'm like, ooh, what I ate yesterday, my body didn't love that. I'm holding on to some water. I'm a little puffy today or whatever. But then in a couple of days, it'll go back down. And so I do use my shape of age to really kind of get that feedback that I'm looking for. When my shape of age went up over, over the holidays from... Christmas and New Year's, it actually went up 13 years from Thanksgiving till New Year's, 13 years. Well, I ate something yesterday. I knew it was not going to be good today, but I'm like, I'm going to get on it anyway. And my shape of age actually jumped up. It's two years older than my real age. My age has gone down five years since in just the the past four days. Today's day five of following my Zoe recommendations. So I'm back down five years. Yeah. Good. I'm excited to see what what my age is going to be tomorrow. So you can get your shape of scale at myshapa.com and use the code life lessons, one word. We also have a link on our website at lifelessonscommunity.com under the shop with us tab. And also it'll be in show notes. So next we have a segment that we call our listener led lesson. It might be a life hack, a book recommendation, a special recipe, a kitchen tip, or anything along those lines. Today's listener led lesson comes from Pachina in Canada. Pachina suffers from chronic debilitating headaches. She's recently found relief by using a jade roller on the face and forehead. She keeps it in the fridge so it's extra cold when she uses it. After watching some YouTube videos to learn facial massage techniques, she has found that not only does it really help her headaches when she's suffering, but since it also helps with lymph drainage, she can appreciate a noticeable change in the puffiness of her face and especially around her eyes. She does caution to be sure to get one that is real jade, as there are a lot of facial rollers out there that are made to look like jade, but are not. So if you're a headache sufferer or you want to stimulate lymph drainage in your face, you might want to give it a try. Had you ever heard of that before, Sherry? You know, I've heard of it before, but I've never like really looked into it. But after she shared that, I started looking at it and I might have to do that because I often have really puffy eyes. Very cool. All right. At the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener. Today's quote comes from Eric. The quote is a Dr. Seuss quote. I love this one. Be who you are and say what you feel because those who matter don't mind and those who mind don't matter. So he says, just do what you feel is right and stop worrying about what people think about it. 
You have to do what is right for you. And like the quote says, if people are upset about what you say or do, but it's right for you and your situation, does it really matter what they think? People who love and support you will love and support you no matter what. If they don't, they are not your people. That's a great lesson. Thank you for sharing, Eric. So everyone, thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to join our Facebook community. It's called Life Lessons with Jen and Sherry. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, and we would love for you to leave a review. That helps us reach others. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com and listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Talk to you then, Sherry. Bye. Bye. Bye.